Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I want to say hello to all of you. My name is Doug Hartley, and I'm the senior minister here at Plum Creek. I want to greet my church family, but I also want to welcome anyone who is not normally a part of our church, but you happen to be watching online today. We are glad you're here. Well, it has been a crazy week, hasn't it? We've never seen anything quite like this in our lifetime. I can just picture years from now sitting down with my grandchildren and telling them stories about the pandemic of 2020. And I certainly don't want to make light of the situation. There are so many people who are affected by this. In one way or another, we've all been affected. And the truth is, there's been a lot of fear out there this week. And it's very easy to make decisions based on fear. I'm not even going to mention toilet paper right now. But this is a time when followers of Christ can demonstrate a different way to live. We can say, yeah, this world is in turmoil. And yes, we may go through some trials and challenges, but my hope is in Jesus. My trust is in God. At our house, we have a passage of Scripture that's framed and hanging up on the wall. I read it all the time. It's from Psalm 46. And listen to the words of this psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I'll be honest, over the past few years, I've had some tough days here and there. And I keep finding myself drawn to these verses. The writer of this psalm says that God is our refuge and strength no matter what our circumstances look like. Check this out. He says, even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, even if it's the end of the world, when God is our refuge, we have no reason to fear. Now, I love that because it's the truth. We are living through a crazy time right now, and I don't know the future, but I do believe this current situation will pass. And for the vast majority of people, life will go back to normal at some point. However, for followers of Jesus, it seriously doesn't matter whether life is normal or not. We can have faith and peace, even in the middle of chaos. So whether you're a part of Plum Creek or you're just listening in today, I hope you'll find that peace as we look to God and we look into his word this morning. Now, I do wish that all of us could be together in the same room right now, but I am thankful that we have this opportunity to connect online. And the reality is, from the very beginning, Christ's church has never been defined by buildings. The church is not a building. It's people. We are the body of Christ. And the important thing is for us as the body to function in unity and to represent Jesus well and to honor God by the way we live. There are lots of ways we can still do that. This online service is a perfect example. I love to picture all of you watching from wherever you are, whether that's in your living room or somewhere on your phone, just worshiping along with us. 
And by the way, I want to thank all of the staff and volunteers who worked very hard this week to make this online service possible. I really appreciate all of you. But just like every Sunday at Plum Creek, we're going to dig into Scripture this morning. I started working on today's sermon well before there was any discussion about canceling our in-person gathering this week. And as the week went on, I thought, well, maybe I should throw out the original plan and go a completely different direction. After all, uh, the title of this message is Everyone's Invited, which is ironic because today everyone is invited to stay home. But in the end, I decided to stick with the sermon that I've been working on. And here's why. For the past few months, we've been on a long journey called the gospel. We've been going through the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And we've been drawing from all four gospel books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I believe the best thing we could do right now is just keep focusing on Jesus. So today, we're wrapping up a shorter series within the larger series. And this shorter series, we've been looking at several events where Jesus said something and did something that left people awestruck. Our passage this morning is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. In this chapter, Jesus says a lot of things that sounded outrageous to the people around him. They were looking at each other going, did he just say that? And did he actually mean it? So I'll give you a heads up. There are lots of things to wrestle with in this chapter, and we won't be able to deal with all of them, but we will get a glimpse at the heart of Jesus. We're going to see what he cares about, and we'll see what he expects from his followers. In this passage, there's a mindset that he wants us to have, and there are some action steps that he wants us to take. So let's jump into the story. At the beginning of Luke 14, Jesus is a dinner guest in the home of a Pharisee. And, you know, uh, the Pharisees gave Jesus a lot of trouble over the course of his ministry. The Pharisees were among the Jewish elite. They were religious leaders. They knew Scripture better than almost anyone. They, they followed the Old Testament law down to the most minute detail. And they uh, had a reputation for being very godly. The problem was, though, Jesus could see their hearts. And in most cases, the Pharisees looked really good on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts were full of greed and pride. They were addicted to power. And Jesus was a huge threat to their powerful positions, so they hated him. In last week's story, they plotted to kill him. But here in today's story, Jesus is having dinner in the home of a prominent Pharisee. And it's possible that this particular Pharisee really was interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. It's also very possible that he was just looking for a way to trap Jesus. But there's one thing we know for sure. This dinner party was extremely tense and awkward because Jesus is the guest here. But he speaks out against the host and against the whole group. He calls them out for their self-seeking pride. And this is where we'll start reading. Let's pick it up at Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, 
your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So you see what I'm talking about? The Pharisees at that dinner would have raised their eyebrows at these comments, but it's not just the Pharisees, right? A lot of us today might have some questions for Jesus here. First of all, Jesus, are you really saying that I shouldn't invite my friends and my family over for dinner? Imagine how this might play out. Here's a scenario. Let's say that every year you have a tradition of hosting your family Christmas gathering. What would happen if you send a message to your family and you say, sorry guys, I I can't have you over for Christmas anymore. Jesus told me that I can't invite you. That's completely laughable, right? So what did Jesus mean when he said this? Well, here's what we have to do. Whenever we run across a passage of scripture or a teaching from Jesus that just leaves us scratching our heads, We need to take this passage and put it in the context of the entire Bible. This is a concept we talk about a lot. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. So let's try that. In other parts of the Bible, what do we see? How does Jesus want his followers to treat each other? Well, in John 13, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, if we love one another... We're probably going to eat dinner together now and then, right? Of course we are. We can also look at the example of Jesus himself. Did he ever invite his friends over to dinner? Well, you may remember an event called the Last Supper. Jesus is the one who made the arrangements for that dinner. So, no, back in Luke 14, Jesus is not saying that you can't host your family Christmas anymore. So what is he saying? Well, there are several things going on here. First, it's helpful to know about a common practice in the Jewish culture of that time. When people invited others over, they were often looking for something in return. Sort of like, I want you to come over for dinner because I need a favor from you. So that's part of the point Jesus is making here. He's saying, guys, when is the last time you did something for someone who is not able to pay you back? And like I said earlier, this is a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. This is what God's heart looks like. Our tendency is to be very self-centered, but God's tendency is to be selfless, to be sacrificial. In fact, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, didn't he? He sacrificed his own life to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins. And there's no way we could repay that debt. So with this teaching, Jesus, he directly confronts our self-centered way of relating to people. But there's another layer here. Just who is it that Jesus wants us to invite? Instead of friends or family, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. These people are the outsiders. They're the ones who would never expect to get an invitation. Again, this is the heart of Jesus. And Jesus calls us to have a heart for outsiders, a heart for those who have been marginalized, for those who are vulnerable. And why does Jesus want us to care about these people? Because he cares. 
because he loves each one of them and he wants them to know they are loved by God. Now, we can help send that message by showing hospitality. And in our culture, the word hospitality doesn't carry a lot of weight. But in the Bible, this is a high calling. When you think about biblical hospitality, don't think of something comfortable. You know what's comfortable? What's comfortable is doing the same things with the same people you already know and love. And there's a Bible word for that, too. It's called fellowship. And listen, fellowship is not a bad thing. Remember, Jesus wants his followers to love one another. So there's nothing wrong with having friends or relatives over, but if they're the only ones we invite, we have a problem. We need to be intentional about showing Christ-like hospitality. And when we show people hospitality, we're, we're telling people, this is what God thinks of you. God loves you. He wants to include you in the party. He wants to invite you to be a part of his kingdom. Now, like many of you, I find this teaching from Jesus pretty challenging. I have to check my own heart and my own life. Am I doing this? As a church here at Plum Creek, are we doing this? I thought about that this week, and I started to evaluate what we do as a church. And honestly, I was encouraged. There's always room to grow, but I believe our church is doing several things to show hospitality to people who may feel like outsiders. Let me give you a few examples. Plum Creek is involved with a ministry called Family Promise. And many of you know about this. Family Promise has put together a network of churches that, that work together to provide a, a, whole, a place to stay, a place to sleep, food, and transportation to families who currently don't have a place to live. There's a rotation throughout the year to these different churches, and, and we're one of them. And our Family Promise volunteers, they've made some great connections with these guests. Another ministry is our Sharing Center. The Sharing Center hosts a monthly food share, and every month we work to meet the needs of our neighbors. And we also work to build relationships with them and, and share the love of Christ. Another ministry is fairly new. It's called WISH, and that stands for Welcoming International Students Home. I love this whole idea. WISH began less than two years ago up at Northern Kentucky University, and it's not an official ministry of Plum Creek, but it was started by some of our members. So we have all these students coming to NKU literally from all over the world. And many of them come from cultures where Christianity is very uncommon. But they're thousands of miles away from home. And they often show up without any connections here in the U.S. But then Wish comes in, and they show hospitality. Some of you have hosted Wish students in your home, and that's a very cool thing. We've also welcomed Wish students here at Plum Creek on Sunday mornings. And... There's a lot of ministry happening around here. I'm encouraged by that. And we're always looking for more ways to share the love of Christ. And of course, with the coronavirus interrupting our lives right now, we're making some temporary changes to the way we operate. But we know that in this uncertain time, there will be opportunities to show hospitality. There will be ways for us to send this message that God is for you and we are too. Right now, our church is working on plans 
to meet needs around us, and we'll let you know how you can get involved. And we can't help everyone everywhere, but if we all take on this mindset, our church can make a big impact. And I've heard just in the past few days, some of you are already taking the initiative. Some of you have jumped in. You're reaching out to others. You've offered to help people with child care or food or even toilet paper. Uh, that's exactly what I'm talking about here. But we need to get back to Luke chapter 14. Jesus is not done yet. He's about to say something that will be even more offensive to these dinner guests. Let's jump back into the passage. Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, remember what came just before this. Jesus just told these Pharisees to stop being self-centered and schedule a different kind of banquet. And I'm guessing that was followed by a few seconds of awkward silence. But then one of these Pharisees speaks up, and he's like, Speaking of banquets... It's going to be great when we all feast in the kingdom of God, am I right? So what is this guy talking about? Well, this is a reference to several prophecies in the Old Testament. These prophecies said that one day the Messiah will come, and he will lead God's people to a future age where there will be a feast in the presence of God. This will be a time of prosperity. This will be a time when God's people will be restored and death will be swallowed up forever. Sounds like heaven, right? But remember, most of these Pharisees do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So right after that guy makes this comment, Jesus tells a parable. And the parable is basically a response to the, his comment. Jesus is like, hold your horses, buddy. Uh, you're assuming that all of you will be present at the feast in God's kingdom, but you better not speak too soon. Let's read it. Verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the, bl the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So it's not very difficult to understand this parable. The master represents God. He's the one who invites everyone to the banquet. The invited guests would represent many of the Jews, people like the Pharisees. These are the ones who rejected the invitation to come to the feast. They make all kinds of lame excuses. And then Jesus makes another reference to the outsiders, doesn't he? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. In this case, the outsiders represent Gentiles, non-Jews, and anyone else who wouldn't expect to get an invitation. 
And Jesus says, if you reject this invitation, you won't get a taste of the banquet. Now, this is weird, isn't it? Because that guy who spoke up, it sounded like he was all excited about going to the feast, right? So why would someone like him reject the invitation? Well, like I said earlier, these Pharisees were so full of pride and greed, they just weren't willing to admit that they needed Jesus. They weren't willing to humble themselves and say, I need help. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't get to God by trying to obey the rules. I need forgiveness. It's sad. Because of their pride, these Pharisees were shutting themselves out from the very place they wanted to be. So that's what this parable meant for the people in that particular house at that particular time. But what about us? How do we apply this in our time? Well, the situation really isn't that different. God invites everyone to join him at the ultimate feast. We've seen his heart, haven't we? God has compassion for all people. He wants all of us to be with him in heaven for all of eternity. Now, we don't deserve to be present at this feast because we all have sin in our lives. But Jesus went to the cross and he made a way for us to be invited. He paid the penalty for our sins. He died so that we might live. So, you've been invited. And when you give your life to Jesus, you accept that invitation. Your sins are forgiven and washed clean. And over time, God's Holy Spirit will change you. He will send you out to be like one of the servants in this story. Followers of Jesus are sent by God to spread the word that everyone is invited if you skip a little later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul explains how the church has been called to carry out this role. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You can see the urgency here, right? Paul says, please, we implore you, accept this invitation. Don't spend eternity separated from God because of your pride. Be reconciled to God. Be present at this banquet. So we've come to a clear action step for every follower of Christ. And this is something we talk about all the time here at Plum Creek. God wants to partner with us to lead people to Jesus. And you know, there are so many ways for God to use us. If this idea of leading people to Jesus seems new or intimidating to you, we often say you could start with the simple step of inviting someone to church. Literally anyone can take this step. Over the past couple of years, we've had a challenge here at Plum Creek. The challenge is to identify someone you know who may need a relationship with Jesus. We call this person your one. Of course, you can have more than one one, but this is a good place to start. And once you identify your one, you pray for that person. You ask God to use you to show his love to that person. And then at some point, you invite that person to church. Now, right now, that means inviting your one to a service online, which may be even easier. But we have a team here at Plum Creek that's working to build a culture where all of us reach out. We, we invite others to begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, we don't want to do that in a pushy way. We're not interested in twisting somebody's arm or making them feel like some kind of project. 
We just want to build genuine friendships. And when you care about a friend, you share what's important to you. And for us at Plum Creek, what's important definitely includes our relationship with Jesus. So this team I'm talking about, they, they sent out a survey to everyone who is a part of a life group, which is the name of our small groups. And we asked quite a few questions, but I want to share just a couple of responses. First, we asked everyone, in the past year, have you invited someone to church? And 87% of those who responded said, yes, I have. Only 13% said no. And I thought, wow, that's a very high percentage. But then we asked a follow-up question. Did the person or people you invited come to church? 46% of them actually came, almost half. That's amazing. And that motivates me to be even more intentional about inviting people myself. So the next thing you might wonder is what happened when those people visited? Did they have a good experience? Well, based on the survey, a lot of the feedback was very positive. Here's one example. Someone said, the people at Plum Creek are authentic and genuine. We felt very welcome. It felt like home. Now, if you are a member of Plum Creek, there's a good chance that you are contributing to the friendly and welcoming atmosphere here. And I hear this all the time. People have a good first impression of our church. And I want to say thank you to everyone who plays a part in helping guests feel welcome at our church. That's so important. That's one more way to show hospitality. But in the end, it's not enough for our guests to connect with a friendly group of people. We want to see them connect with Jesus. And as long as there is one person around us who needs a relationship with Jesus, we're going to keep looking for ways to reach out. There's a very clear takeaway from this parable that Jesus told. God wants his house full for dinner. If one group rejects his invitation... He will send out the servants and say, go find those outsiders. Make sure they know that they are invited. Let's find everyone we can and get them to this feast. That's the heart of God. And the closer we get to his heart, the more we'll have the same compassion that he has for people. I want to tell you about our plans for Easter this year. I hope and I pray that we'll be able to meet in person on April 12th for worship and of course, we have no guarantees about that. But assuming we do meet, we want to be ready to welcome everyone who wants to come. Now, we had a lot of people here for Easter last year, and that was really positive. But there was one negative. At one point that morning, we had zero parking spots available. That's not a good situation. It's very possible that someone drove into the parking lot, saw that it was full, and then just turned around and left. And I think many of you would agree we're not okay with that. So here's the solution. Instead of having our normal two services at 9 and 10.45 a.m., we're planning to have three services for Easter this year, one at 8 a.m., one at 9.30, and one at 11. Now, as all of you know, these plans are currently up in the air and we may be encouraging you to invite someone to an online Easter service. We'll do what we need to do. The bottom line is, we're serious about this mission that God has given us. God has called us to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we're not content to sit back and be comfortable. 
And yes, it's very comfortable to do the same things with the same people we already know and love, but we are pursuing the heart of Jesus. We want to follow his example to look outward, to to care about people who feel like outsiders. We want to invite people to be present at that ultimate feast. Now, before I wrap up here, I want to say a quick word to a specific group of people. I have no idea who might be watching or listening to this service today, and that's actually very cool. But I know it's highly likely that some of you have not yet responded to God's invitation. And I can't close this morning without addressing that. God wants his house full for dinner. And he specifically wants you to be there. Going back to the parable that Jesus told, there were three different excuses, right? One person said, sorry, I just bought a field and I need to go check it out. And to that guy, I have to say, why in the world did you buy a field before you even looked at it? That's a lame excuse. The second person said, Nope, can't go. Just bought some oxen, and I need to try them out. And the last person said, you know what? I just got married, so I can't come. And that one's kind of funny to me. He's like, sorry, my new wife is no fun. She just wants to stay home. So three excuses, and all of them are pretty lame. And I heard another preacher say something about this, and I thought it was very insightful. He said, every excuse that we might make to God falls into one of these three categories, riches, responsibilities, and relationships. Riches, like that new field. Responsibilities, like that new team of oxen. And relationships, like the couple that just got married. There are so many things that could come between you and Jesus in this world. And many of us have been tempted to say, Jesus, I'm sort of interested in following you, but you need to know there are several things in my life that still take priority over you. But Jesus doesn't play that game. He says, if you're going to follow me, you have to lay it all down. For the Pharisees, they needed to lay down their pride, but most of them weren't willing to do that. For us, we need to lay down anything that might come before Jesus. And that kind of surrender may feel difficult, But when you give him your whole heart, you find out that he does a much better job of running your life. He will change you to become the person you need to be. He will make you a better friend or a better spouse or a better parent. He'll change your heart to look more like his. And he'll be with you every step of the way until you get to that ultimate feast. Now, if you don't make it to the banquet, It's not because God doesn't want you there. It's not because you haven't been invited. It's not because God's grace can't reach you. It's because you haven't accepted the invitation. So if you're listening right now and you know that God is speaking to you, I encourage you to respond. Accept that invitation. Put your faith in Jesus. Confess him as your Savior and your Lord. Turn away from your old sinful life where you were in charge. Be baptized and begin a new life with a new purpose and a new future. If you want to do that, we set up a page on our website where you can connect with us. Just go to plumcreek.org connect. We'd love to hear from you. You know, there is a great celebration waiting for all of us. 
And when you know that's where you're headed, there's no need to be afraid. God truly is your refuge. He's your strength. And you can face every day and every situation with peace, the peace that only he can give. So let's go to God right now. I want to pray for our nation and our world, and I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, and Lord, we bring you our concerns, our fears, our anxieties, our problems. We know that you are bigger than all of this. You are bigger than any circumstances. And we can find our hope and our refuge in you. And Lord, I just want to lift up people around the world who are especially in need of your help right now. I think of those who have been infected by the coronavirus. I think of family and friends of those who are sick. Lord, I I pray for healing. I pray for uh, your comfort and your strength. Lord, I also lift up those who are just trying to navigate this situation, whether that's government officials or medical professionals, for educators, teachers, for parents who are trying to figure out what to do with their kids over the next few weeks. I pray for children. I pray for anyone who may be dealing with anxiety right now. Lord, I pray that you will provide the help that we need. I pray for all of us to seek you more than ever before. And I pray for the peace that comes from you. And for anyone who has not yet accepted your invitation to be present at that ultimate feast, I pray that you will speak to their heart and that they will respond. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.